Welcome to Conflict Managed. I'm your host, Mary Brown. Today on Conflict Managed, Natasha Pennington, HR professional, talks with us about what to do when we feel stuck at work or see red flags. Natasha shares with us personal stories of both toxic and wonderful work environments and the juxtaposition of being minimized versus being invested in, supported, and cared for. She also offers advice on how to deal with difficult and sensitive problems at work, such as hygiene issues. Natasha Pennington currently works for ATA Employment Solutions as an HR client manager and has been there for almost five years. She has been working in human resources since 2011. She is a member of SHRM, the West Tennessee SHRM chapter, the National Association of Professional Employer Organizations, and is a SHRM certified professional. Natasha earned a Master of Science degree in Human Resources as well as a graduate certificate in Organizational Leadership and Human Resources Management. She also earned a Bachelor of Science degree in Business Administration with an emphasis in Industry Analysis. Natasha received the Volunteer of the Year Award in 2016 for her active involvement with canine support teams and their Paws for Wounded Veterans program. She served on the O'Brien County Chamber of Commerce Board in 2021. She is a graduate of the class of 2019 Adult Leadership O'Brien County and currently serves on the board. In her free time, she enjoys spending time with family, fishing, and hiking. Good morning, Natasha, and welcome to Conflict Managed. Good morning. Thank you for having me. I'm so pleased that you are here. Um, it's a real treat today because you're an HR professional. And uh, since this podcast is about toxic work environments and what to do about them, uh, I know that we're going to gain a lot from your experience today on the show. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Well, let's just go ahead and start like we usually do and hear about your work history from your first job as a young person up to the present. Okay, well, I'll take you way back to my very first job. I was five years old and I started my own animal washing business. So I had a wagon and I stole all my mom's cleaning supplies and soaps and everything I could find. And I went door to door to all my neighbors and I washed uh, horses, dogs, I even washed a pig. And I'm sure I didn't do a very good job, but everyone was <laughs> really nice and supporting my business. Um, and I guess my first real job. Um, I was in high school and I worked for uh, a pizza place and I, I worked for um, a very difficult person and I actually was fired from my first job for dropping a box of pepperoni on the floor. So <laughs> that was my first real job experience. Um, and then from there, I, I worked inside the mall at a place that sold body piercing jewelry and incense and skateboards and all kinds of stuff like that. So that was really interesting. I would actually have to like change out people's tongue piercings or nose piercings for them if they got new jewelry and wanted someone to do that. So that was kind of gross. Sometimes <laughs> I didn't know that was what I was signing up for, but um, it was interesting to say the least, but I worked for really great people. So that was actually a, a good experience for me outside of the, you know, tongue piercing stuff. And then I guess my first real introduction into the world of HR, I worked in career services and we were kind of like a free staffing agency. 
Um, so we would promote, you know, the, the college students and um, help them work on their resume. And we teach classes to help them be professional and um, polish their interviewing skills and things like that and just really get them prepared for the real world and then send them out to uh, businesses in the community that we had made relationships with and um, just kind of give them that real world experience and um, the employers would usually take them on as like a temporary kind of basis or through the school program and and then hopefully the end goal was to get them hired on you know full-time with that company it was a challenging position because of the students that we worked with, they were usually uh, low income or first people in their family to ever attempt to go to college. Um, just not very polished. We had uh, quite a few that lived out of their car. Um, there was a lot of hygiene issues, things like that, but it was very rewarding because we were able to, um, you know, put together little hygiene packets for them and um, get them a, a bus ticket to their interview. And we would actually go shopping with them at like the Goodwill and pick them out, you know, something professional to wear. So um, it was really rewarding, but it was also difficult at times when they failed um, and, you know, maybe we're arrested or we're back on drugs or something like that. So it was, could be very heartbreaking for me at times because I'm an empath. Um, and I also have stray dog syndrome. So those two combined <laughs> can uh, be difficult, but there was actually a girl that I worked with there and she was going to school. And one day I was like, well, what, you know, what are you going to school for? And she said, I'm uh, getting my degree in human resources. And I was like, what's that? I'd never, you know, really heard of that. I didn't know what it was. And um, she explained it to me and I said, well, that's, that's cool. I want to do that. And um, I was finishing up my bachelor's degree at that time. And I was thinking, well, what do I do to get on this HR path? And I realized that so many things I was doing already, you know, were HR related. So from there, I went on to work for uh, a university in um, human resources. And I kind of worked in a liaison position where I was the middleman between the campuses and the main campus. Um, so that was kind of, I guess, my first taste at really working in HR. And I loved it so much right away that I decided to pursue my master's degree in human resources. And even my counselor was like, don't do that. Don't limit yourself to HR. You know, you need to get a degree that has like a broader, you know, more room for opportunities. And I told him, I'll never forget that day. I was like, I don't want to do anything else. Like, this is what I want to do. I want to work in HR. And I understand what you're saying. And I would probably caution people the same way you are me, but I know for a fact, this is what I want to do. I'm passionate about it because it's kind of the best of both worlds for me where um, I like the work side of it, but I also really love the people side of it. And I feel like in an HR position, you can really help people. And ultimately that's what I want to do. So there's really nothing better than being able to offer somebody their dream job. Um, I love, you know, that feeling that's, that's the greatest part of the job and working in HR. 
And from there, um, I worked at uh, another school and that gave me experience on the K through 12 side. I had never worked in that part. I had always worked in higher education. And then I ended up moving from Southern California to Tennessee, where I am today. And I am currently working for ATA Employment Solutions as an HR client manager. And I've been here almost five years now. And uh, ATA Employment Solutions is a PEO, a professional employer organization. I know that that's not like a common thing that people are aware of what a PEO does, but in a very short way, can say that we act like an offsite human resource department for several small businesses throughout several different states. Um, and I love working for a PEO. Um, it's probably been my favorite job so far. And I'm not just saying that because I'm at work right now. <laughs> it truly, it truly is. I really love working for a PEO and um, the people that I work with are great. So pretty, pretty happy where I am right now. That's wonderful. You know, you just said that the best part of your job is giving people their dream job and how wonderful to do that. And also really like where you're working, the work you're doing and the people you're doing it with. That's great. Yes. And I feel like it's so rare, at least in my experiences, um, you know, for it all to come together like that, where you're happy in every aspect of it, because there's usually, you know, one thing that you wish you could change. But I think in, in this position, I have the freedom and ability to make that change if I don't like it. So I feel like it is a rare thing, but sometimes you have to go through those bad experiences to really know where you want to ultimately be, you know? Mm-hmm. I want to take you back to some of your first jobs. Oh, first of all, I love that your first job was when you were five and <laughs> washing, washing animals. And when I read your bio, you to this day love animals and take care of animals. Is that correct? Yes, I am a total animal lover. Um, my family is actually originally from South Africa. And for anybody that knows anything about South Africa, the the wildlife um, is just absolutely amazing. And like nothing else you'd ever see anywhere on the planet. And um, so that really, I want to say my mom is an animal lover too, but my dad really, um, that's really where that comes from. I mean, we had every kind of animal you could possibly imagine growing up. And um, I was known for letting all the dogs in the house. And I had one of those trundle beds, you know, and they would, I would sneak them underneath and, um, I hope my mom doesn't listen to this. <laughs> um, I would actually let the horse in the house. I would let the horse in the kitchen. So my mom would wake up and there'd be a horse in there. Um, yeah. Or when I, when I did get in trouble for letting the animals in, then I would just go outside and sleep outside with the animals. So <laughs> kind of weird, I guess, but um, yes, absolutely love animals. <laughs> Something I thought was very interesting that you said, so your first quote unquote real job um, was not the best experience. Um, one in which you said you got fired from it. You were working for a difficult person going to the next job, which while it had some very interesting and maybe unsavory aspects, you said that people you worked for were really good. And so I want to kind of talk about that juxtaposition. What was it in that first job, that pizza job? What, what was that manager doing that you found difficult? Um, 
the work environment itself was very dirty, mm. um, you know, cockroaches and things like that. And when you're making food in that type of environment, it, it you know, it's just pretty gross um, and just not willing to do anything about it. When you, when you told him what was going on, he didn't really care. Um, and this is, this is terrible. And being an older woman now, I wish I would have known to do something about it back then. But I mean, I was 15 years old. Um, have you ever seen those people that stand out on the corner with those signs and they like wave them around, you know, like two pizzas for $10 or whatever? Sure. Yeah. Well, um, he would make me do that and it really wasn't in the best part of town. And, um, he would make me change out of my normal uniform into like street clothes. Um, and, you know, tell me to wear shorts and things like that. And Mm. just like looking back, I'm like, Oh, you know, what a creeper. And how did I, you know, not run and tell my parents about that. Um, so that's one thing I always caution to, you know, people with kids that are entering the workforce, just to make sure that they know at least the basics of what's okay and what's not, Mm. you know? Yeah. That's really important because when you're young, you you don't know what you don't know, you know, Oh, okay. I'll change all my street clothes. Oh, I don't care about wearing shorts, but yeah, looking back and it's, that's, uh, you know it's certainly a kind of sexual harassment or at least at the very least sleazy and unethical. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) And so what about how, how did being fired, how did that affect you? Well, the thing that saved me in that situation was my coworkers because everybody was super supportive. It was like, we're all in this, you know, hell hole together, whatever you want to call it. Um, and so everybody knew how he was. Nobody really liked the job. I really don't know why we stayed, um, to tell you the truth, but it was, it was them that saved me. And I, I knew that him firing me for that was just such a ridiculous reason and that it was really a blessing in disguise because I, sh- I should not have been working there for a person like that, you know? You know, I think that's interesting. And I think a variety of people, not just young people, find themselves in these situations that are are really negative for them. And once they're free from it, you can look back and you're like, what was I doing there? Why did I stay? And so many of us have this feeling of being stuck and we aren't empowered, don't know our, all of our options and feel like there aren't any other options. Absolutely. I was just so desperate to have a job. I don't know why at 15, I was so desperate to have a job. I guess my parents just were really empowering in that way. And they always wanted me to be independent and, you know, never have to depend on anybody else for anything. And that's just kind of the way that I was raised and with a strong work ethic. And so to me, not really knowing anything different, I didn't want to complain to them about what was going on. I'm like, well, you know, this is what work is, this is, you know, life, <laughs> you got to yeah. grow up and deal with it when, um, really, you know, I wish there would have been a little bit of a warning about, you know, some serious red flags, but at the same time, everything happens for a reason. And it was a learning experience. And, um, 
you know, every moment like that shapes you into the person that you become later down the road. So yes, because if you imagine yourself um, transported to that same situation, what would you do differently if you found yourself in that position? Um, I probably would have reported him in some form or fashion. Uh, yeah, uh, there was definitely a lot of things going on there that were major HR violations. So probably at this point, knowing what I know now could have shut him down completely. You know, he's not a, a man that should be a business owner or managing people or, or anything like that. So I think you're entirely right about learning experiences. And that is the wonderful thing about, about having a variety of experiences. And as we get older, we can look back and say, okay, well, this is what should have, this, what should happen. And this is why, and what's okay. And what's not okay. And at the same time, we really do need to educate our youth as to what red flags are. You know, we talk about red flags all the time with people, but you know, now, nowadays we talk about red flags and that's, I think really helpful language that you could, you could give somebody entering the workforce to think, like what are green flags? What are what are good things to look for and being empowered when you're taken advantage of or who to go to to find out, is this normal? Is this normal? Absolutely. Yeah. So conversely, the next job at the mall, what what was it about those um those managers? Uh you called them great people. What what was so good about that? They just treated me like I was part of the family. It was a family owned and operated business and most of the family members worked there and it was just kind of like they adopted me and, you know, I was invited to a family dinner and um, they were just really supportive of making sure, because I was in high school at the time, so they were really supportive of making sure that I was doing well in school and, um, they allowed me to do some fun stuff. I was really interested in uh, my senior year of high school. I was thinking about pursuing a degree in maybe marketing or international marketing. I was really interested in that at the time. Um, they had taken me to some trade shows. And I mean, that's a big deal to just, I think minimum wage was like 525 at that time. I'm totally aging myself right now, but um uh, <sighs> you know, just, I was just a little girl that knew nothing. And they took me to these trade shows and they were like, you know, what do you think the kids your age would want to wear? Like, what should we purchase? You know, what do you think about this? And I just thought that was like the coolest thing ever, you know, to be able to go to that. Um, you know, cause not just anyone can go to those kinds of things. Like you have to have um, an invitation and a ticket and all the, you know, the passes and all the things. And, um, you know, they got me my own hotel room and just, you know, really schooled me and empowered me. And then they would let me, you know, the storefront windows, um, the displays and everything, they would let me do those and just kind of play around with that idea that I wanted to be in marketing or something, you know, uh, to do with that world and that industry and um, kind of let me just like put it to the test so I just thought that was really nice of them and um, taking me in as kind of one of their own, just, it just was a happy place to go to work and um, just very uplifting. And um, I think supportive is the, is the main thing. I mean, I'm still in touch with several of them, you know, to this day. So um, just, just good people overall in general. You know, it's amazing, you know, how people make us feel has, you know, when we're in our, we're in our job, 
independent of what we're doing. Because if that at that pizza place, if you were treated that way, it would have been a whole different situation, right? And so here you are doing some unsavory things like changing tongue piercings, but <laughs> that that was a part of the job. And and because of how they treated you and because you were valued and invested in, and as you said, things that they did not have to do, but how much they gained because you were engaged and they got the benefit of your wisdom, your your perspective that they don't have, and how much then you became invested and then you also beyond work building these relationships. When we talk about engagement and belonging and inclusion, and some people, oh gosh, we've got to do this. It's like, no, you get to do this to have a better work environment and to bring everybody up. Absolutely. And I mean, even at such a young age, I truly cared about the success of their business. And, you know, they had started expanding and things like that. And they allowed me to be a part of that. And I wanted to be a part of their success, you know, and um, because of the way they treated me. So you're absolutely right, because the the kind of nasty things about the job, you know, didn't all of a sudden they weren't such a big deal anymore because of all of the rest of it. Yeah, absolutely. You said something else that's interesting. Um, that's difficult for a lot of managers and, and just fellow employees to deal with it, would deal with, and that's hygiene issues. Do you have any, and I'm sure there are people who are listening who are either dealing with that or have had to deal with that, whether it's your coworker next to you or someone that you manage, do you have any advice as to how to, to deal with that in a way that is respectful of persons? It is so hard. I hate when stuff like this comes up because you don't know why they're having that issue. Maybe it was just the way they were raised. They don't know any better or, um, you know, maybe life is hard right now financially. I mean, the reasons could just, there could just be so many. Um, and unfortunately I have had to deal with them, um, quite often, I think the best way to go about dealing with those issues is to really take that HR hat off and um, have a, a private human conversation about it and be as understanding and empathetic, you know, as you possibly can be. And usually you'd start the conversation, letting them know this is a really difficult conversation for me to have right now. I do not want you to feel embarrassed in any kind of way, you know, however, um, and kind of, you know, describe what is going on, but they're always, they're always hard and they're always, I don't want to say they ever really go well, um, and some people, some people just don't know, like, you know, if you have like tobacco chewers or something like that, you know, like that bottle that you keep out on your lunch break is grossing people out, you know, um, they just don't know because that's their every day. They don't think about it or whatever, but a lot of times it can be a very sensitive topic and, um, you know, usually allow them just some time by themselves or, you know, maybe if they even want to go home for the day and kind of think about it because it can be really, you know, tough sometimes, but yeah, I don't, I don't like those ones, but they do, they do come up. I really appreciate what you said. Dealing with those very human conversations takes another human empathy, 
you know, not being behind the desk and behind the wall of some sort of policy that's very impersonal. Because if we can imagine, you know, what it would be like or what that person may be going through. And the fact of the matter is we don't. We don't know if it's a medical condition. We don't know if it's a lack of funds. We don't know if they're sleeping on somebody's couch. We don't know. We just don't know. And yet it does that person no favors to allow that condition to continue where other people are talking about it or being affected or customers or performance of suffering. And so it is those really hard jobs or hard conversations that I think really shows the character of an organization. Is this organization willing to do really hard things, have difficult conversations, feel uncomfortable so that we can be a team and work on an issue to find an amicable solution so we can continue in a positive direction? Yeah, that's another thing that you pointed on. I never want them to feel like everybody in you know the office has been talking about this. You know what I mean? I mean, you, you want to make it known, but I don't, I don't want to say, well, this is the 10th person now that has come to me and complained to me about, you know, your hygiene. So kind of, like you said, just really keeping it human to human and being, treating it like a sensitive matter that it is. And especially if it's a medical condition, like you're kind of walking into a little bit of, you know, scary territory there. <laughs> so yeah. mm-hmm. you, you have to really be careful in those situations. Yeah. And I think that if you're a manager and the reason you have that conversation is because that 10th person has come to you, you need to realize that you have failed because you should have addressed it right away. Absolutely. And the first time somebody comes to you, you know, with a high, you know, this person, I'm having a hard time sitting next to this person. If you haven't investigated, gone out and had a conversation, gone out and found out what's going on, you are you are actually holding that person, let's suppose they have a hygiene issue, up for a kind of scandal, up for being talked about. You're not protecting them. Typically, we have we don't have those conversations because we don't have the skills, we don't have the confidence, we lack the courage. And you're absolutely right. I mean, with any situation, I always want to put my own eyes on it um, as much as possible, no matter what we're talking about. I don't like taking one person's opinion and, and rolling with it. You know, I, I want to, I want to do my own investigation. I want to put my, my own eyes on it, witness it for myself. Um, sometimes that's not always possible depending on the situation, but um, in any investigation, absolutely. I, I don't want to take one person's word for it. I want to, I want to see it for myself as much as I can. Right. And, you know, it's so interesting when it comes to things like hygiene or smell, people have different sorts of sensitivities. I worked with somebody who was allergic to perfume and her job was in a mall and her job was uh, wrapping presents in the mall management office, which was right across from a major department store. And the front of a department store is the perfume counter. And Uh it's like, well, us in the office, nobody was allowed to wear perfume. Fine. But, you know, people are just sensitive to different things for a variety of reasons. Uh, And so a lot of an office, of course, is learning how to work together and work with the certain challenges that we all face uh, so that we can be on mission and uh, treat people with respect, but also be free to be brilliant and excel at our jobs. That's absolutely true. There's um, 
there's this thing in our office. I'm like a big, like essential oil person. And I always have my diffuser on my desk and kind of going off and, and I will tell everybody in the office, like, okay, I'm going to diffuse, you know, this new oil, whatever. If you don't like it, tell me. And, um, so now I kind of know which oils people like and don't like. <laughs> so I do not diffuse some of my favorite ones because my boss in particular does not like that smell. So I need to keep her happy, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I love that example because if we're going to have difficult conversations with people, you don't start by just having a, a really difficult conversation. You start by having conversations, right? And so if you encourage people to really say, hey, I'm going to do this, I like it, but if you don't, I want to know. And if it's on a low stakes, like what you're diffusing in your office, some people still might have feelings about that. But if you encourage that kind of behavior and that kind of communication with your with your colleagues, when something a little higher stakes or higher, you've already practiced using your words, practiced advocating for yourself and having a a conversation where you have to find a path forward. And I think that's how we have, we we work up to having those kinds of bigger conversations when we as managers or just uh, employees to employee continually work and have the habit of having real conversations so that we can do the big ones. Absolutely. I mean, through my experiences, I have learned what, some people's first impression of me is and how I can kind of come off because I can be very blunt and no filter kind of a person and I'm not good at sugarcoating and some people don't like that um, they might get the wrong first impression and and I know that based off of experiences so usually you know when I start a new job I will I will just put that out in the world that if I ever say something that you think may be rude or blunt um, or too direct, please know that there's no ill intention behind it. Like if I have a problem with you, you're going to know, you're not going to have to wonder. Um, but if I ever do say something that is offensive to you or you, you know, or maybe taking some kind of way, please approach me with it because I honestly don't know. I'll just put that out there. Right, right, right here. And, and right away, because I, I know that about myself, but again, it's because I've learned from experiences, both good and bad. I know that about myself. And, um, as much as I try to hone that in sometimes, I mean, it's just who I am and, um, I can't always, you know, wrangle it in. <laughs> you know? I, I think that also is a really good example because, uh, well, we can tell other people about, you know, Hey, I know this is, it hasn't been an issue in the past, but it's an issue for you. Come talk to me. But it's, it's good to be reminded that just because something appears to you a certain way doesn't mean it is. So like, let's talk about bullying. Of course, there are clear examples of bullying or sexual harassment or whatever it may be, you know, but many times somebody is called a bully, like that person's bullying me. And once you get down to it, that's actually not what's happening. It's a different style of communication. That person is maybe very blunt and the other person is very sensitive or has a different style and they don't understand that style of communication. And if you can get people to have real conversations instead of me saying, Oh, I'm being bullied, go to the person and say, Hey, when you said this, this was what happened for me. Or when I saw you do this at the meeting, this is how I responded. Was that your intention? What's going on? Right. Encouraging people to have those conversations instead of automatically labeling somebody with ill will or bad intentions. Mm 
Absolutely. Yeah. You know, how do we get people to, to do that? Um, <laughs> I, I think, I mean, that goes to having a healthy culture because you can train people all you want, but if there's not psychological safety, if there's, if it's not encouraged from the management to empower employees to speak up for themselves, have difficult conversations, really be engaged. I mean, that's engagement. Then people won't do those sorts of things. Well, I remember I went to some sort of a training. It was years ago. And the the speaker was saying that when you are at your place of work, understanding that everybody operates differently and getting that out of the way from the very beginning kind of helps create the culture that that you're describing. So from the very beginning, I'll just use my my current position. Um, I asked my boss if I'm going to be late or I'm not feeling well. Do you prefer email, text? You know, how do you want me to let you know? Um, do you prefer email in general? Do you want me to come into your office and, and speak to you about something? Do you like me to send you electronic documents or do you like them printed out? <laughs> you know, all these little things. Um, because my boss could be like, oh, Natasha is always blowing up my email. It's so annoying, you know, and she could be over there thinking, I wish she would just come ask me really quick and we can get it over with instead of me having to read through all these emails. Well, you know, now that I know that about her, that's fine with me. Like I'll, I can work with you however you need me to work with you, whatever your preferred style of work is. But just starting with some of those little things like that can help really foster that, that culture of open communication and uh, likes and dislikes. And, you know, I worked with somebody that was like, whatever you do, do never, never put a post-it note on my desk. <laughs> like <laughs> I will hurt you, <laughs> you know, and I'm like, all right. Uh, so I would put tons of post-it notes on his desk just to, you know, mess with him. But <laughs> after a certain point, after we developed that relationship, we right. mess with him like that. But you kind of get to know those little perks about people and um, their preferred uh, styles of work. And, and just just that alone, I mean, goes so far, farther than you would really imagine. Oh, I think that's such a wonderful tip. Be it. it the wonderful thing about it is that's something that you can do, right? A lot of times we wait for somebody else. Oh, they should they should know how I like to be communicated with or that, well, they should come tell me how they want to be communicated with. Instead, we can empower ourselves to say, I'm going to ask, I'm going to find out, I'm going to do those questions uh, instead of waiting for somebody else. And you're right, because when we have clear and direct communication, so many so many of our issues at work come because... We don't know what's going on or misconstruing what's happening. Absolutely. So here we are in the new year. It's January and, you know, new year, new me idea. And we think about <laughs> our work environments. So do you have any advice for our listeners as to how to have the best work environment they can here in the new year? I think that I'll just speak from personal experience I had um, a very, very bad work experience with a previous um, employer. I mean, it was it was everyone in the C-suite, my, my boss, it was the people I worked with, it was the department, the culture, it was kind of like a every man out for himself kind of thing. And um, 
that experience while I was in it, it was absolutely awful. And I mean, I, you can ask my husband, I literally cried just about every day, you know, going home. I I didn't know what to do in that situation. It was just, there was so much that was out of my control. And ultimately I felt like I was misled as to what the job actually was and, you know, what the company itself was like. And while I was in it, I just, I was so desperate to get out. And in that desperation, I was thinking, I will just take whatever, whatever job comes next, I will take, you know, I don't care what it is, anything is going to be better than this. And um, at the same time, I realized maybe this is a great lesson for me to truly learn and know what kind of environment I want to work in and what type of people I want to work for. And looking back, I saw the red flags from the very beginning. Um, So just really thinking about what you have truly loved in your jobs, past jobs, um, what you have loved about uh, the leaders that you've worked for, the people that you've worked for, and really noting what you didn't like um, or what maybe you didn't love but could probably live with uh, if you worked with the right people because you spend more time with your work family than you do anybody else. And life is just too short to be miserable every day. So I would advise to ask the questions that are going to give you the answers that you need to make the right decision for yourself and, and don't settle. I mean, I know we all can't afford really to not have a job. Um, I mean, the majority of us, um, but find what is truly going to make you happy in what you're doing and who you're working for and who you're working with, because it's just not worth it. It's not worth it to go down a road where um, you're not happy. And I know sometimes you can't always, you know, help that you may think you're getting a good thing when you're not, but ask the questions. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to dive in and um, ask those questions that are going to pull that information out of, you know, your interview panel and kind of see if you can dig a little bit deeper. And one thing I've done um, just uh, working in recruitment is sometimes I'm recruiting for an industry or a position that I'm like, I have no idea what these people do. I don't speak this language, you know, and so I have to do this, educate myself like 101 on the fly kind of thing sometimes. And um, you can type into Google, like, what should the answer be for this interview question? And um, some things will pop up, like things to look for and to kind of make sure, you know, you're on the right track. So um, looking for a new job, I would, I would do something like that too, to kind of see what should the response be? You know, what should I be looking for? So really when it comes down to it, just don't settle, I think. I would also want to say that, first of all, I'm sorry that you were in such a toxic environment. I know how miserable that is. And to you and to anybody else who finds himself in this situation, that's 100% about them and not about you. So if you're being mistreated at work, that has to do with their behavior and their emotional intelligence and not yours. And I think if you can start seeing that 
then you can start distancing yourself, giving yourself the grace and the space to not just, because we just want to get out of there once we've had enough, but Mm -hmm. to do as Natasha said, and think about, okay, what can I learn that I don't want anymore? And where do I want to go? What do I want to imagine? Because I don't want to, this is not okay for me. And it doesn't have to do with me. It's not, I don't deserve this. I drop the pepperoni on the floor or whatever. It does not (laughs) deserve this response. And so, you know, having compassion for yourself and saying, this is not acceptable. I deserve to be happy and we all deserve to be happy and moving on. You're absolutely right. Because in those moments, my confidence was just being shattered. You know, yeah. uh, here I am very experienced, very educated in my field and just zero confidence to speak up about anything or, you know, present any ideas or, you know, I was really just a, a shell of a person and very quiet for anyone that knows me. I really not ever quiet. So, uh, you know, it's becoming a different, a different person and a person that I didn't like, but, but to see it in that moment that, like you said, it wasn't my fault. It, it was, you know, as a product of a toxic work environment, um, being able to see that when you're in the moment is so difficult, but if you can take a moment, if you're, if you're in that type of a situation, if you can take a moment to really think about it and kind of dig down deep, um, I think, I think that you will see that it's not your fault. And, Unfortunately for me, I didn't see that until I was out of that situation. However, in a way, I think it was, I mean, I know it was all part of God's plan for me because it pushed me in directions that I would never have had the courage to move to um, without that feeling of desperation pushing me. Yeah. Uh, and just really making me think outside of the box with, you know, what my, my next step was. And uh, ultimately that led to where I am now in life. And I don't know that I've ever been happier, you know, not just in my personal life, but where I'm at today in my career. So I guess you got to take the good with the bad sometimes, but you just have to learn from all those experiences. Right. I, I wish pain on absolutely no one, but life is full of pain and joy and everything in the middle. And it mm-hmm. is just true that we grow a lot from those very difficult circumstances and we don't need to seek them out. They will find us and uh, <laughs> when we're in them. It isn't all loss. There is something on the other side. And so peace to all of you who are experiencing those difficult circumstances. There is something better for you. And I hope that you can find it. It's out there. Well, Natasha, thank you so much for your time. It's been extremely enjoyable and informational. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you, Natasha. What a great way to begin the new year. Thank you for listening to Conflict Managed. If there's someone you would like to see interviewed on Conflict Managed, please let us know. Conflict Managed is produced by third-party workplace conflict restoration services. You can find them online at 3pconflictrestoration.com. I'm your host, Mary Brown. Our music is courtesy of Dove Pilot. And remember, conflict is normal and to be expected. Let's deal with it. Until next time, take care.